in the hobby. It's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking that we could pull, I don't know, Hall of Famer. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com. The only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. There is nothing more fun than opening an Arena Club slab pack. I mean, it is so much better than any mystery pack that I've ever purchased because there is a focus on transparency. There is a display of available cards. There are hit rates you can get. When you're graded, you're given a rationale. It is the marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, and displaying. Arena Club Slab Packs are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your pulls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. You can have them officially graded by Arena Club. The Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent, with a full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. Whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform you have to check out. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash badmoney. Wow, that's a crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack, that's $40 right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash badmoney for 10% off your first purchase. I love to track progress. As you guys know from listening to this show, I'm constantly tracking my progress. What have we done so far in 2024? And spring is in full bloom. Are your finances blooming too? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities for lower rates on loans like for a car or a home. You can use it everywhere Visa credit cards are accepted. That's right, you can build your credit using your own money. Get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. With a qualifying direct deposit, you can get access to your money sooner. Fee-free overdraft with SpotMe. Overdraft up to $200 without fees with SpotMe when you set up a qualified direct deposit. Just set up a qualifying direct deposit, sign up for SpotMe, and Chime will spot you up to your limit when you make a credit card purchase or cash withdrawal that exceeds your balance. Access 60,000 plus fee-free ATMs. That's more than the top three national banks combined. Easily find one near you with the Chime app. Send and receive money. Use Chime to pay anyone, Chime members or not, and cash out your money fee-free. With Chime's secure credit card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started at Chime.com slash bad money. That's Chime.com slash bad money. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. You got problems that you ought to be concerned with. Moolah! You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Now your healing has begun. It's bad with money with Gabby Dunn. Hello, Deadbeats. I'm Gabby Dunn, and this is Bad With Money. Why the hell? Aren't there women on our American money? Sorry. I wanted to start by yelling because this is something I've wondered about forever. 
It seems like an easy, lovely thing to do, to acknowledge the vast and underrepresented contributions of women to this country. Put their faces on our currency. Replace one of the many white dudes already on there. We don't need all of them. We can definitely get rid of at least one. Probably slave trader Andrew Jackson, right? It should definitely be slave trader Andrew Jackson. Or slave owner, uh, like a lot of the rest of them. Now, nobody's arguing to take George Washington off the dollar bill. But let's take a moment to appreciate the fact that he loved having slaves. Washington had 316 slaves at the time of his death. Okay? That's bad. That's very, very bad. And in fact, our paper money doesn't feature anyone but white, presumably straight men. Looking at you, Abe Lincoln. I'm kidding. But Google it. The point is, there are no black people on our bills. No Native Americans. No Asians. No out queer people. No women. No intersectional mixture of all of the above. Arguably, the most visible part of our daily lives promotes a subconscious message. Or who are we kidding? A conscious message. White men are important. Everyone else is not. It sort of makes sense. Those are the people that have been the biggest victims of capitalism. Of course, we're keeping anyone but white dudes faces off our money. This week's show is about women on the $20 bill. Our guest this week, Barbara Ortiz Howard, launched the Women on 20s campaign in 2012. The goal was to gain public support for putting a woman on American paper money and to convince the Treasury Department to make it happen. Barbara and her co-founder, Susan Addy Stone, put up a poll with a bunch of amazing candidates on their site. And in May 2015, Harriet Tubman won. The other finalists, Eleanor Roosevelt, Rosa Parks, Wilma Mankiller, who was the first female chief of the Cherokee Nation, they're all worth reading up on. Women on 20s was a huge success. In 2016, Obama's Treasury Secretary announced there would be a Harriet Tubman $20 bill, just in time for the centennial of women's suffrage in 2020. Women's suffrage being 1920 and just for white women, to clarify. So that's great. But you know where this is going, right? The current administration of stubborn bigots have done their best to sabotage the entire effort. With an announcement this May that a Harriet Tubman bill can't possibly happen until 2028, if at all. It's obviously bullshit that we don't acknowledge the contributions of anyone other than cis white men to our country. Of course, money is a weird and sometimes toxic way to show we appreciate someone. But the bigger question raised by not having women on our money is why don't we acknowledge the work of the female politicians, inventors, freedom fighters, etc., who made our country better? And anyway, how do we even choose who goes on our money? How did the men who are there end up there to begin with? And how hard is it really to change the look of our dollars? This is Barbara Ortiz Howard, and I am the founder of Women on Twenties, and I am based in New York. And um, how did this idea of Women on Twenties come about? Like, what's your background and what led to this idea? I had been a very active young person uh, way back 50 years ago. It's hard to believe, but I was in high school at the intersection of civil rights, women's rights, the Vietnam War, and... Mm -hmm. Those things didn't seem to, uh, things didn't seem to be going very well in this country at that time. And I was very involved. And 
Lo and behold, we had Roe v. Wade. We were out of Vietnam. Uh, the president had resigned. And uh, Civil Rights Act was signed in. So it felt like we're moving ahead. We can get on with our own lives a little bit. And I was kind of involved in my own neighborhood activities and organizing within my community for those quality of life things and raising a family, being involved with my children and their sports. And raising a daughter was challenging. I, I felt like there were very few models I could point to right there in the street of women that she could look up to. It wasn't that pronounced in our cultural landscape. So I looked to sports to point out to her about how you could work with other people because sports is a great model for that. But then mm. one day, I, you know, I, I happened to catch this movie, Iron Jawed Angels. Back in around 2010, I was like watching this movie about Alice Paul, and I said, "Oh my goodness, I, I I didn't realize that this had happened." Like here I was, someone who had had an activist background, and I felt like I knew history, but I did not know about Alice Paul and the treatment mm. and the treatment that women had gotten at that time, and I. I felt like I had gotten a kick to the stomach with that. And I brought it to the attention of other people in my community and my that I knew. And I invited people over a few times to watch the movie. This, my goodness, how could this have happened? How could we have treated our women in this way? And as I've gone through the rest of the campaign, there's so much in history that I'm realizing that I had not learned in my even my AP history class. So at the mm. time. So it, there was, there's a lot for us to, all to learn. And here I am, I'm thinking about Alice Paul. I'm thinking that I didn't have many models to point to of, of women's leadership. And I was standing going to buy coffee in my, in our all-time favorite coffee place. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, there are no women on our currency. And mm. I started speaking to other people right there in the store. I was like, are there any women on our currency? And it was like, no, and, and I, I saw some young people from Sarah Lawrence College even. I'm like, oh, they're a good group. They, they might want to do something. Why don't you take this up? It's, you know, we should have women on our currency. You know, we're going to have our right to vote for 100 years now coming up, and it would be great to, to do that. Now, that was back in 2012. No one really wanted to take it up because they had plenty of other activities planned, and it didn't fit in. It looked like it was going to take a lot of energy, and I thought it would take a lot of energy, and I have a business that I'm trying to run and family and other, many other obligations. So I didn't think I could do it, but it just kept eating at me. And I said, well, let me see what my friends think and who do they think should be honest. I started doing informal surveys and sending emails to my friends and like started curating names of who might be on it. And then I started to set about learning how this process of putting people on currency works. And mm -hmm. so I got my my understanding of all of this. I said, well, it doesn't seem like such a an arduous task. It just has to be decided that we need to do it. And turns out the Secretary of the Treasury has the vested power to do that. I mean, I had no concept of the history of money either because I, I went to the Federal Reserve in Chicago mm. just to look. And I didn't realize, you know, that there was like, wooden money and then eventually they had you know little pieces of paper and then like how long the history of of the changing of money is 
and how often money had changed. And so I think a lot of people are like, well, money's always been this way. And it's like, always, it's always been this way. (laughs) That's just not true. Um, And I think things can, can always change. You're absolutely right. I mean, coins are different, right? Because there's actually a committee that makes a decision about whether it's going to appear on our coins. It's a little bit easier to change as a committee method. It's a little more Mm. democratic. They say, we're going to put the states on the back of the quarters. We're going to change the way Jefferson looks on the face. So there's a more of a committee process. And this time was the first time it wasn't on the shoulders of one person. And they say, oh, we don't know how all those people got on our currency, like on our paper currency. And like, yes, we do. There was a very deliberate decision by a small mm. group of people. And Andrew Mellon, the Treasury Secretary at the time, made his own mind up of who was going to be on the bills. And that's the way it stayed. And that's the kind of operation that we have in, in the Treasury Department is a very steady hand. And that's important. That gives that sense of stability. It's not always changing. It isn't very easily counterfeited. Mm. It's, a, it, it's very important. That would be very nerve-wracking to the markets if suddenly there was a breach in the security of our currency. That's very mm. important. We can do that. We can absolutely maintain the security of our currency. We need to have the will to do it along with the design so that we have a modernization of our currency that reflects the mores and the attitudes of our current day and where we want to be and who we want to honor. Absolutely. Especially because you mentioned Jefferson, who also is a slave owner. I mean, a lot of them were, but it's like- they it's all like, were. Yeah. They absolutely, except for they all I, were. <laughs> Lincoln was, and Lincoln wasn't, and neither was Grant. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty egregious once you realize. I, I know that Susan B. Anthony is on a coin and Sacagawea is on a coin, um, but that no one is on, no women are on paper money is is just a pretty egregious thing in, in at this point in our history. Who who were the nominated women? Who were the top 15? Well, the top 15 women, you know, came from a much larger list. And we had asked people who were in the field of women's studies and authors and activists to weigh the people's contributions and Mm -hmm. to also uh, evaluate them on the level of difficulty. So everyone had like a weighted score. And so we had people like Barbara Jordan and Shirley Chisholm who were real game changers for us and ushered in a new era of, of uh, legislation and mm. uh, intelligence. But we also had people from, you know, longer back in the past, Rachel Carson and uh, Frances Perkins. And we had the, most of the suffragists uh, that were recognized at the time to be the major players for the suffrage movement. And since that time, we've really learned there's just so many other people that haven't had the attention. But we had Ida B. Wells, we had, you know, Susan B. Anthony, Lucretia Mott, Sojourner Truth. So we had all of these people, and the suffragists did wind up splitting their vote, and we wound up with the final four. We actually had the final three, but since it was March, as long in addition to being Women's History Month, it's, it's March Madness. So we said, well, we have mm. to have the final four too. 
and we introduced a woman man killer who was in the top 30, who is a Cherokee chief of the Cherokee Nation, uh, first female chief, and she served three terms and really brought about many needed changes and energized that community in in a big way. And um, for people that don't know, uh, Harriet Tubman won. Um, and I think that's really important, too, because you were talking about how women wa- won the right to vote in uh, 1919, but only white women got the right to vote then. Uh, black women were not allowed to vote till, till later. So it's interesting that Harriet Tubman won because I think that's so important in terms of who goes on the money. So why do you why do you believe Harriet Tubman won? I think that Harriet Tubman speaks to our core values in this country, regardless of who you are. And that's a testament that is borne by the fact that Republicans and Democrats, she's a very bipartisan candidate um, and person. She really represents freedom at, at its basic core. Here she is, mm. uh, you know, willing to risk her own life for not only her freedom, but the freedom of others. And that is the essential value that we have in this country that we so value the most is our freedom, the land of the free, home of the brave. She mm-hmm. was that. And it, it wasn't something that she was just uh, hoarding for herself. She was generous in that way, and she always took the side of the most vulnerable in our society, and she always worked towards having freedom for others. So she led a military expedition, the first woman ever to lead a military expedition into an area that she was not familiar with in South Carolina, the Combahee River Raid, where she able to help the Union Army get there safely and be victorious, freeing over 700 slaves. Oh, she accomplished all of that. She was suffragist. She worked for women's rights. She worked for the rights of aged people. And she was, Mm. you know, she cared for uh, older people in her place in Auburn, New York, which she bought and she created this homestead in a safe house. She, you know, of course, we haven't even spoken about that she was a conductor on the Underground Railroad and never lost a passenger. And mm-hmm. she did this with a bounty on her head. Had she been caught, the punishment would have it would be unimaginable, uh, mm-hmm. unimaginably bad. So she was fearless in the face of this. She was fearless in knowing that she didn't have all of the skills that a lot of people have. She wasn't allowed to learn how to read. She Mm. had these terrible spells of narcolepsy, epilepsy, because when she was a young person, she uh, was hit with an iron because she refused to restrain another slave who was trying to escape. And she was like 13 years old. and, And that caused a lifelong series of pain. And when she was much older, she had uh, surgery on her brain without any anesthesia. This woman was very solidly built. And, you know, she said she referred back to like what she had seen in the Civil War, the bravery of other people. And that's what she was able to derive her strength from, was knowing the courage other people had. And then she took it on herself. That's beautiful. Um, My audience understands why it matters that women are on money. But 
Um, how have you gone about convincing people that don't get it, like why this matters so much? We have heard so many different little complaints like, oh, money isn't as important anymore. People are going to just use credit cards or an app to pay things. But cash is bigger than it's ever been. There's more money being printed 24-7, 365 days a year in this country and around the world. So cash is big and it's not going away. So that argument doesn't hold up. The argument that it doesn't matter who's on our money, now that it's been pointed out that some of the personalities on our currency are less than uh, the most exemplary people that we have. Oh, yeah. I think that we have to recognize that. And until we really recognize what went on before, how can we actually reconcile? We have to have a truth and reconcilement in this country until we really come face to face and say, that was really terrible. Not like, oh, everybody was doing it at the time. You know, everybody had slaves. Jackson was a slave trader. That ratchets his degree of involvement in in slavery a lot more than just being a slave owner, which was terrible, terrible in and of itself. And many people Mm -hmm. of that era certainly realized the immorality and how wrong it was to abide slavery. That's why we ultimately wound up with the Civil War. And it was a self-interest of people that they would like to build their wealth on the backs of other people and in a cruel and harsh and Un, you know, terrible manner. So mm-hmm. we have to come to terms with what that was and how that maybe vestiges of those same feelings still exist. So we we have to understand what is what are the core roots of racism. Racism is a social construct of the late 1600s. It didn't really exist before, but you know, it became the way to justify the sins of slavery at some point. We had to, you had to blame it on something. So we created these stereotypes which have lived on and which inform our, the way our society is today. We, you know, it segued, okay, after abolition and after the Civil War mm-hmm. and Reconstruction, and then it flipped back with redeeming the South, whatever that meant, uh, and taking back promises that were made to former slaves, like they could have Mm -hmm. land, 40 acres and a mule, well, it was given and taken back Mm -hmm. due to the assassination of Lincoln. And that debt has never been repaid. Those, we have never fully come to terms with what the impact of that. And instead, what came in after that was Jim Crow laws that, Mm -hmm. as you were saying before, sure, white women had no problem voting after 1920 should they decide to vote. But women of color, like men of color who got the right to vote with the 15th Amendment, were essentially barred from voting between polling taxes mm-hmm. and literacy to anything else that they could, gerrymandering, all those different ways to suppress their vote. Mm-hmm. And they knew that when they were passing the 19th Amendment, they said, well, look, we'll just do what we did before. Senators said, well, you know, it's, if you want to enforce white supremacy, then just let the white women vote in the South and in the North, and you'll, you'll be sure to maintain your power structure. So it was a known thing at the time that allowing 
that vote to happen would result in maintaining the status quo and mm. and, the, and the white supremacist institutions that were in existence at that time. And it continued through till we had the Voting Rights Act of, of 1965. And what we're hopefully moving towards is right now a greater, broader, deeper sisterhood where things matter, like separation of families matters and mm. uh, mass incarceration matters and say her name and all the women that are now being pulled over for a, a taillight and then find themselves, you know, dead in a salsa place where, the, right. you know, the tens of thousands of indigenous women that go missing in this country once man camps get set up in the far reaches of wherever the pipelines are being built and result in the, you know, missing mm-hmm. women. And no one's going for these, you know, to rescue them. And we need to. And we need to realize that if, if one of us isn't safe, none of us are safe. How was it originally decided who was who was on the bills? Prior to 1929, there were lots of different uh, values, and there was the currency wasn't as standardized as it is now, where the bill shape and size is all very uniform. And in 1929, the currency got standardized, and the Secretary of the Treasury at the time, who was Andrew Mellon, uh, mm. he he formalized who would be on each denomination. And Grover Cleveland actually was going to be on the 20. And there had been a committee which had recommended that. And he crossed out Grover Cleveland and he put in Andrew Jackson. So that's how, and that has not changed since 1929. It's almost 100 years that our currency has become stale in that way too. It's like, look, if we are recognizing a different lifestyle and a different way of thinking and different ideas and the future and thinking about things like, why wouldn't we want to change our currency? And part of the reason is, is our currency is probably the best product that this country makes. Everybody in the world loves U.S. currency. Some countries Mm. are dollarized. Two-thirds of our cash is used outside of our country. Mm -hmm. And it's very recognizable. So, for, for counterfeiting reasons, for standardization, I understand that they don't want to make so many changes, but they have made slight changes over the years. And they've added some words like, in God we trust. They mm-hmm. add certain features, certainly add counterfeiting features. The blue ribbon in the $100 bill got added. That took 14 years to develop that technology. And I asked mm. someone who's involved in BEP, how, how come it took so long? I mean, we go to the moon, we go to Pluto, we figured out the human genome. Why can't we print currency a little bit faster and develop the technology? Other countries seem to have it. And it does seem like it's more political than something where the technology is lacking. And there are many parties involved. You have uh, this group, it's called the Anti-Counterfeiting Deterrence Group, the ACD. And that's made up of the Federal Reserve, the Treasury, the Bureau of Engraving and Printing, the Secret Service, and outside banks. And they have an interest in it. Why would they want to constantly change uh, what 
the currency looks like. Then they have to retool also. So there's an expense there. And hopefully they can figure out how to do that with technology instead of having to retool their machinery. Like, mm. This is what the image is now, and it has, and it could be verified through a scanning versus a tactile thing, which is the other thing, by the way, is tactile because it's on my mind. The blind had to sue the Treasury Department, the U.S. government, to get a tactile feature on our currency. And they had been in negotiations for decades, but Treasury never came around to providing that. And in 2002 or so, they actually had to bring the case to court. The blind had to take their little bit of money to sue the big government to have a tactile feature because our money is all uniform. All the bills feel the same. They look the same. I mean, to a person who's visually challenged, they look very similar. Yeah. And yeah. And so it's a huge problem. Yeah, it's a huge problem. And it's a humiliating situation where you have to ask other people, you give them a 20, and now did you get fives or ones? I mean, this is mm-hmm. very humiliating and degrading when that technology is available. And so the, the courts decided, yes, the government must provide it. Then Treasury took them back into court and said, but we don't really have to tell them when we're going to provide that. Oh, cool. Yeah. So that's been on the back burner also. And that was supposed to happen with the $10 bill. Everybody's talking about the delay in the $20 bill. What about the delay in the $10 bill? It just seems like the counterfeiting stuff is kind of an excuse. Like, it's this thing of, well, it's always been this way. So I don't know. I I agree. Like, other countries have different like see-through elements or like different things that you can feel different like yeah it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense other than they just don't want to be helpful or they just don't want to do what would be like a really great thing i think a lot of people would agree with that the counterfeiting is if you put your mind to it you will develop the technologies they're like well these technologies haven't been invented yet so develop them invent them Shifting mm-hmm. ink, different uh, appearance and different uh, light. And they do have to stay ahead of counterfeiters who would love to counterfeit bills. Uh, mm. More, you know, like it's, it pays, you know, and, but we have a very low counterfeiting rate and I get it. it's very important. So, I mean, it does, doesn't take 15 years, should take a few years if at most, like mm-hmm. plan to get there. Plan to get it done. And by the way, putting a woman on currency is not an idea that originated with myself. We saw a study by some scholars at Rutgers that, in fact, over the history of this country, there have been many requests to the Secretary of the Treasury to put women on our currency, recognize Mm -hmm. these women, and it's all been downplayed. And instead, we did get a coin that was a big, epic fail. Nobody wanted to use the Susan B. Anthony dollar because it looked like a quarter. Mm-hmm. And so they stopped minting that. And the Sacagawea coin, and it's just not ubiquitous. It's not everywhere. It's not used everywhere. But boy, those 20s are. And that's mm-hmm. why we were women on 20s when the Treasury first told us, wow, you know, we have the same idea. We want to put 
a woman on currency, going to be the 10. We were like, oh, that's nice. We're still women on 20s, right? We want the currency that's used five times as much as the 10. It is the most right. widely circulated. We, we want to be there popping out so that other people can see this bill in this country and other countries and know that freedom is possible because that's a message that Harriet Tubman is sending. So in 2016, it came out that Harriet Tubman would be appearing on the 20, uh, and that sort of had some pitfalls lately. But like, what? where were you when you heard that announcement? What was that like for you guys? Well, we were anticipating the announcement. You know, we had been in negotiations with the Treasury because after our campaign, we petitioned the Treasury and the president. We said, look, it's over 600,000 people. Harriet Tubman won our campaign, and we're asking you to put Harriet Tubman on our $20 bill. They invited us down to D.C. We spoke with Treasury officials, and that's when they told us, well, we have the same idea, but we're going to have a woman on the $10 bill because that's the next bill to come out. And all during this time, we were in conversation with them, and they were like pushing the 10. And we said, no, but it has to be the 22. And of course, we had support from our Hamiltonian friends who were like, save Hamilton, women on 20s. And we're like, yay. And Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yeah, because of the, the musical Hamilton. Yeah, they didn't realize like a month after they made the announcement that there would be a new 10, that there was going to be this incredibly successful Broadway show with the most charismatic personality ever, Lin-Manuel Miranda, who's like, yeah. think, save, save Hamilton, women on 20s. And of course, you know, the president and, and Secretary Liu, they went to see the play a few times, and then the show went to D.C. So basically, Hamilton was going to get a buy. He was going to get safe. We gave them the idea, put a vignette of women, but definitely keep us with Harriet Tubman. And during that time, I give Secretary Liu credit because he was listening. He invited historians to come, and they had roundtables. And Harriet Tubman was the suggestion that he was getting. And he told us, he said he realized how important she was to our history and how she solidified and gave us a breakthrough when when they when that with that raid in in South Carolina, this is true heroism mm -hmm. on her part, and what she sacrificed and what she was able to accomplish was a turning point. So he realized it, and he then made the announcement in April of 2016. So almost a full year later, nine months of going back and forth, and they were like the ten, and we're like no, the twenty, and. What came out of that was that we got the trifecta, I call it. We got not only the 10, the 20, but we also got the five, which we never thought that was going to be in the mix. And it was supposed to be the 10 would be next and the five. And on the reverse side of the five, they were going to have uh, Eleanor Roosevelt, um, Marian Anderson, and Martin Luther King because of Lincoln Memorial and the historic events that took place there when... Eleanor Roosevelt invited Marian Anderson to perform there. Uh, so we were ecstatic, and we were mm -hmm. we were in New York. We were listening to the press conference that Lou gave, and we were visiting various uh, radio stations and news outlets, giving our impression of you know how happy we were that this was going. This was what was decided at that time in April. No one knew what was going to happen. 
I mean, people thought we were going to have a democratic administration at, at that point. So it would still continue, but Jack Lew advanced the process as much as he possibly could, selecting a design and setting things in motion. Uh, at this time, it looks like all the wheels have come to a grinding halt. Yeah, can you explain uh, so how the Trump administration and Treasury Secretary Mnuchin have torpedoed the bill? Like, basically, uh, on August 31st, 2017, Stephen Mnuchin said he would not commit to putting Tubman on the $20 bill and was saying, you know, people have been on the bills for a long time and they have more important issues to, to focus on. And then in 2019, he said no new imagery will be unveiled until 2028. So what is going on there? What what is are they just I mean obviously they're cartoon villains but what started happening or what happened? I think that the writing was on the wall right from the beginning when the announcement was made the then candidate Trump was saying that Harriet Tubman's a fantastic person. Maybe we could find a new denomination for her, like the $2 bill, and Ugh. that uh, <laughs> and that he, he was actually got a little bit angrier as he went along, and he said, you know, that's just political correctness. And that's just kind of like a, a wraparound term to just say that doing the right thing maybe is not the right thing. I, it's just a, a way of turning the table and projecting what your agenda is, it was never really sitting well with him that Tubman would be on our 20s. Meanwhile, in our everyday jargon on TV shows and Orange is a New Black and many other programs and movies and everyday experiences, people were talking about Tubman 20s. They couldn't wait to get the mm -hmm. Tubman 20s. So people were very happy about this result. And then someone was undermining it, a group or, you know, a small group, because during our campaign, we had mostly very supportive, very supportive, like zero against, and everybody was supporting mm. it. And during the first week in the Oval Office, the newly elected president hung a portrait of Andrew Jackson, and he's been to the Hermitage, Andrew Jackson's slave plantation, uh, he's been there a couple of times extolling the virtues of Jackson. So he he holds those ideals very closely, the ideals of being a slave trader, being the architect of uh, Native American genocide, are hardly values that I think most Americans have. I mean, that cannot be. I cannot live, I don't think we live in that country anymore. I would like to think we don't. And if there's any vestiges of that, there has to be a lot of more discussion, and mm -hmm. we have to flush that out because those things are clearly not a way to advance humanity. No, of course. I mean, even in the beginning, you talking about your daughter, you know, it's important. I mean, it's just so crushing, I think, to young women and especially young women of color, like just to see it would be so important for them to see something like this. I think it would be just like such a kind gesture, but unfortunately, they don't have that in them. I'll tell you a funny a little anecdote. I don't know if you... Sure. But we have World Cup season again and well, for women's soccer. And I have to tell you, like, I could never understand the guys, like, watching football and being, like, so excited or listening to, like, 
sports radio stations, and the guys getting like really like, oh yeah, there's a guy so great, and like, I'm like, what are they talking about? Like, why are they so excited? Mm-hmm. Well, when I started watching women's soccer, women's world class soccer, and U.S. was playing uh, China in 1996, I I was watching in my uh, like kind of living room, like on a dining room ter- table, and I was so into it when when we scored the winning goal, like I jumped out of my chair and the chair broke. I was screaming <laughs> like a maniac. And then when the U.S. was playing Brazil in the last World Cup, I was like. The neighbors had to think that something was really bad was going down because I was screaming my head off. I couldn't take the the tension, the pressure. Because here I was watching someone like, you know, like I could relate to, like a woman. And it was so filling to me. It was so exciting. And women could use that to, to be get really excited about other women in that way and to be cheering them on and like, go and do it and you can and this is very I'm getting goosebumps thinking about like how wonderful our women athletes are and I always kind of thought that but I never really got it until I I saw women's soccer like baseball like for hours and hours really they stand I'm sorry baseball fans I know it's really great (laughs) you you relate to it in some way you relate it relates to it speaks to you well seeing white guys on currency and seeing Guys like Andrew Jackson, I mean, his nice hair, maybe, I don't know. But other than that, like, there's nothing that speaks to women in that. Yeah. I mean, I think it would be just so important for representation for women and women of color and even, you know, uh, all people of, of color, especially all black people, to see a black person on on our money. Um, there's this artist in Brooklyn who designed a stamp of Tubman's portrait. It fits right over Jackson's on the $20 bill, so you can buy it and just do it yourself. Uh, Did you know about that? Yeah, Dana Wall created a a wonderful stamp that fits exactly over Jackson. (laughs) And it's it's wonderful. And it's it's based on the portrait of Harriet Tubman as a young woman. You know, she was so careful and so so keen on on keeping her uh, identity quiet because she was, of course, being hunted. Mm. And so she couldn't have her picture out there. So Mm -hmm. there were very few pictures of her as a young person available. But one portrait was found, I guess, in 2017. There was an album, and it went on auction at the Swan Galleries in New York City. And we try to raise funds for it so that the Tubman home in Auburn could have it. But at last, you know, the Tubman home was seriously outbid by who? The Smithsonian. We didn't know at the time. And that portrait sold for $165,000 plus fees. So that's to give you a sense of the value that people put on this portrait, you know. Mm-hmm. And so Dana Walt used that very same image to make the stamp. And then we had a stamp, which was created for us by an artist from Belgium. During the campaign, we were contacted by Jan Guitan of Belgium. And he mm-hmm. he had created this outsized artifact. And you can find it on our website or on our Facebook pages. Very, very large $20 bill with Harriet Tubman on it. It's a big sculpture. It's not really just a a painting or anything. It's a big sculpture. And 
the picture of Tubman uh, that he used on that, he also transcribed onto a stamp when he kind of heard there was a, a, a bit of ambivalence about going forward with it. He said, we have to stamp our money. And other people have talked about it and uh, have tried to write on campaign. We just write Harriet Tubman's name over the face of it, just as a kind of a, a protest and a statement and a cathartic mm. experience that you'll have by stamping your bills or writing your name on it. So we'll be offering our stamp again. Dana Wall stamp is available on Etsy. And he also provides the instructions for a 3D printer version of how to make the stamp. As long as you're not defacing it with the intention to render the without value or to valueless then mm-hmm. and that's certainly not our intention our intention is to circulate these bills with Harriet Tubman's likeness on it or her name on it mm-hmm. and I've used the money with stamped faces on it and stamped otherwise and written on it in automated machines I've given it to banks uh, and I've had no trouble having that money accepted. And it is not against the law. So, okay, so how do you feel about your efforts going forward? Like, where can we, you know, where can we all find hope in this? I think it's just important to have the conversations that we're having about it con- constantly to celebrate all things Tubman. There has been enormous attention and interest in going to Cambridge, Maryland at the Visitor Center, uh, the murals that have been spontaneously been created or commissioned in various cities around the country to celebrate Tubman. And that's an important thing to get her story out. The day after Secretary Lou made that announcement, she was the most Googled item the next day. Mm. People want to know. And they're hungry. Like, this is wait a minute, this woman did this. She actually did this. She was so selfless. She had that level of courage. Freedom meant that much. Why am I sitting here in my complacent little self? I should be out there helping other people. I should be working on behalf of freedom. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what we want to continue to celebrate in those kind of conversations. That's the best we could do along with the stamping and the conversations, and during this year coming up of celebrating 100 years of having the actual right to vote. I mean, that was a vote, the right to vote was, you know, written as if all women could have it. As you and I both know, that wasn't the case for women of color, and Native Americans couldn't vote until 1924, and some Japanese Americans, Chinese Americans, not allowed to vote. So their suffrage didn't come till considerably later. Mm-hmm. We want to recognize in this year those very truths and understand what will it take to get everybody on a level playing field and so that we can all reach this promised land that we so desperately want and we idolize. How, what's going to take, what is it going to take to get us there? It's going to take truth. It's going to take truth telling and understanding that, you know, sometimes our souls, we sold our souls and we shouldn't have done that. So, an important question. How do we know Harriet Tubman would even want to be on our money? Many activists I read online say she probably would not. American money is synonymous with capitalism and represents an economy that ran on the backs of the slaves she rescued. Is it good or bad to put her face on a symbol of capitalist oppression? Or does the representation matter more? I'm on the fence. 
But I do know that the reaction to just the idea of putting a woman on our money says a lot about just who we value as important Americans. More than just white men should be among them. Bad With Money is a production of Stitcher. Our show is produced and edited by Melissa Yeager-Miller. This episode was engineered by Brendan Burns and mixed by Jared O'Connell, with additional music by Brendan Burns. Our associate producer is Kristen Torres, and our supervising producer is Josephine Martirana. Our executive producer is Chris Bannon. Our theme song is performed by Sam Barbera and was written by Mike Kaplan, Zach Sherwin, and Jack Dolgen. I'm Gabby Dunn, and I'll talk to you next week.